Uh, I'm excited to get into today's message. We are going to be talking about the prophets. Um, We will be looking at Isaiah, but we're going to be talking about prophets in general. And this is fun for me for a couple of reasons. One is every time I do, have you guys ever done like spiritual gifts testings? I mean, some of you have done. Whenever I do those, for me, the highest one by far of the spiritual gift testing is prophecy. That's always like my off the charts one. And so whenever I get to talk about the prophets of old, I feel like, I I literally feel like it's like a chain of how God, one unique way that God works, and I feel like I get to kind of step into that, you know, chain of voices, and it's fun for me to get to do. So I love that I get to talk about the prophets as a whole, specifically Isaiah. Um, Probably the primary thing that the prophets did was proclaim the dissonance between how people are and how God is. So like like in music, you have dissonance where the things aren't lining up. And then you have attunement where they are lining up, right? Or harmony where things are working well. So dissonance, it's not working. Harmony where it is working. And the prophets have this way of speaking to the dissonance where it's, they, they aren't in alignment in a really clear way. And one of the biggest ways that the prophets do it is by pointing out the existential crisis that's happening in people. Okay, so bear with me. The deeper questions. What's the purpose of life? What's my meaning? Why am I here? What's the point of all of this? And so I want to offer this idea, but instead of it being my own words, I would love to just give you a couple of quotes. I'm going to let some scholars speak on my behalf for the big idea of the prophetic work. All right, you ready? So the first one, he's actually was a mathematician turned kind of philosopher, very famous mathematician named Blaise Pascal. I don't know if you guys are math people at all. Oh, yes, math in the back. Math, love math people. So Pascal says it like this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Okay, what does he mean, the God-shaped vacuum? He's speaking to the existential crisis in the human heart. I'm going to make it clearer again. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis. Lewis says it like this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I've been thinking about, and and again, bear with me, I'm going to be just a little nerdy today, but I think it'll be really important for us to understand the prophets, to pull us into this existential crisis that existed then and exists today. I want you to see this. Every rock thrown by a rioter at a window. So think through the last couple of years. Every rock, it doesn't matter, political left, political right, storming Capitol Hill, throwing rocks through buildings, you know, was it crash and grab or whatever when they go into the stores and just take things and run off, right? Every rock thrown by a rioter at a window, every picket sign that was held on Capitol Hill, every sexually unsatisfied young adult, every disenfranchised middle-aged adult, every unhappy busy professional, everyone who misses the good times of the past and wishes their body worked better because they're now older, 
every one of them are saying the exact same thing. Everybody is saying the exact same thing. The radical left and the radical right and their unhappiness with the world, they're all saying the same thing. Things are not okay and I want a better world. They're all saying that. Things are not okay and I want a better world. All humans feel this. All humans feel this. I really do believe personally that we would call post-modernity, so modernity, the modern era, was this idea that science, technology, the advancement of civilization was going to solve, you know, better medications, you know, all of the mental health issues, we're going to find right drugs to fix it. Modernity was this idea that science was going to fix all our problems. Post-modernity that we're in is the realization that it's not working, And I really think that some of the forefront people, when it comes to understanding the human experience, they're almost always found in the arts. So you see it in like artwork or even in music. I remember this is, uh, I think it was the year 2000, uh, Linkin Park, I was, I was doing young adult ministry and Linkin Park was a really famous uh, secular band. And I remember I was listening to some of their lyrics and, and one of the lyrics goes like this. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end it doesn't even matter. They're screaming in the microphone. Everybody's going crazy. And every young adult right on the cusp of post-modernity is like, it's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly what my heart feels. Art always tends to lead the way when it comes to understanding the human experience. This last week, I was uh, with my doctoral cohort. Actually, Lord willing, I've still got papers to do and things to write and a dissertation and all that fun stuff left. But I think... um, I think Kathy's in here too. She's in my cohort. I think we're steering near the end. Praise be to God. And so I had my last on-site last week, and uh, we were doing theory and theology of the human body, looking at the human experience. So there's a little epistemology, like how we come to know what we know, bend to it. So what is it about people and their view of the world that affects their understanding of the world and themselves? That's kind of what we were talking about this last week. Something very interesting. Okay, it's a nerdy, by the way, the further you get in education, the class names, I don't care if my professors hear this, the class names get dumber and dumber. They don't need to be eight words long. Just say how humans experience life. Everybody knows what that means. And while we were in class, they uh, invited in, this is actually was great, and I do like school a lot. While we were in class, they invited in a young man Um, probably in his mid to late 30s at the time. And our little cohort, our doctoral cohort, they allowed us to interview him. He was a high school kid that grew up in a really great suburban home, right? So everybody here at this campus, this location, it's your home, your kids. He had money, a good life, Medicine when he was sick, life expectancy. I mean, in some ways, middle-class America today, in many ways, middle-class America today, you understand, you have it better than almost any people group ever in human history. You do. I mean, the likelihood... 
of warlords coming in and raiding your house is pretty low this next week. The likelihood of you getting cut and getting an infection that kills you is really low this next week. I mean, it could happen, but it's really low. I mean, for a whole lot of reasons, your kids, I mean, they have more entertainment at their hands. Even things that they want to do, if your kids, whatever they want to do sexually, if you have a young adult child, culture's pretty much okay with it now. Anything they want, life expectancy, pleasure, you name it, everything is at their fingertips. I mean, right now in human history, your kids, this kid, had it better than pretty much every human ever through history before. And he was one of the kids that was picked up online by a radical Islamic group, radicalized, and ended up going overseas and participating in literally like jihad war. He was caught by the FBI, spent 13 years in prison, and is now out on leave with them to help combat the radicalization of our youth. And he came to our class, and we were able to interview him. Like, what is it? Why in the world would any young adult become radicalized to this stuff? Your life is better than any human has ever seen in human history. Why would you become radicalized? And not just with this extreme example of the terrorist groups, but radicalization and everything. I mean, look at it. Kids from great homes with all this money and all these resources, if it's the sexuality thing, they're radicalized in it. If it's a political thing, they're radicalized in it. Why are kids today so susceptible to being radicalized? What's happening? We got to talk about that. So one of the questions we asked him, and by the way, this conversation was much larger, so I'm, it's not a direct question that was asked. This is like summing up questions um, into multiple ones. So it's not a direct quote. It's summing up a much larger conversation. But here are some of the things we talked about in class and asking him, why is this radicalization happening with American suburban, middle-class kids who have everything. Why are they all giving into this? Why are so many giving into this? Again, I'm not just talking about the extreme terrorist groups. I'm talking about radicalization in anything, even their own sexual identity. Radicalized in it. I got to make a big deal about it. Everybody got it. Why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why is this happening to kids? He basically said this. The modern world is removing... What are they removing? Real meaning in life. And so like when we ask him about this, like what do you mean by real meaning? Well, here's the deal. All of us have these existential questions like what is my purpose in life? Do I have any origin? Is there any destination? What is the meaning of life? Even kids can ask these existential questions like, what happens when I, die? when I die, mom and dad? So like, culture has worked really hard to remove all of this existential. Look, we're going to take God out of the schools. We want to take, we're working to try to take God out of the hospitals. We want to take God out of government. We're going to take all of the existential attempts at an answer away from our kids. And we're going to put entertainment, TikTok in their hands. So more and more and more and more and more and more entertainment. People want existential answers, and we're putting video games, sex, drugs, wealth in their hands. The world has been actively removing real meaning to the real questions in life and replacing it with mere entertainment. 
He went on to say this. Okay, now this is even more interesting because he's not a Christian. He is not a Christian. Um, He is wrestling with faith for sure. But he went on to continue to basically say this too. When we remove God, like the idea of God, right? An existential answer. What's my purpose in life? Where's my origin? Do I have any meaning? Am I loved? Or am I literally just random chance? I mean, when you remove the existential answers, the attempts at answering them, when you remove God, we find people unhappy. I love the way he said this. Unhappy with their new reality. So he wasn't asking Do kids believe in God? He's asking, do you realize what happens when you take away answers to all of their existential questions? Do you see how big of a deal that is? So then we ask the question, how do you reinsert meaning? Like, what does it look like to reinsert meaning back into a culture? These kids that are fervently looking for purpose. And even trying to put identity and purpose into things that can't give it. He said this. Now again, not a Christian. And he said this. We must not only return to the Bible textually, but we must live, but living like we believe it. Like, we have to model to people, we have answers to your existential questions. What's the purpose in life? We have answers to it. Or at least we're trying to answer it. At least we're not ignoring it. Why was I born? Do I have any meaning? What's the point of all of this? What happens when I die? We're trying to answer those. Instead of pretending like those questions don't exist, you're trying to answer them. I even stumbled across this song this last week. I would have put this on the screen, but it's too late to get it. I stumbled across this song um, It's called Best Friends. Listen to this. I mean, literally last week I heard this on the radio while I was buzzing through the radio stations. Listen to the words of this song. Can you not hear the deep existential longing of young adults? The name of this song is Best Friends. Listen to this. I don't want to be on my phone, but I can't be alone. Welcome to the modern way. I'm trying to be somebody I'm not, But it's not what I want. I mean, what a great line. Like, I'm trying to be this person that I think people want me to be, but I don't even want to be the person that I think people want me to be, but I feel like I have to do it. That's the crisis. I'm trying to be somebody I'm not, but it's not what I want. And tell me there's another way. All of the lights I chased are now faded. All the cheap thrills were only time wasted. Tell me why society's plan should define who I am. Surely, I love the way this is worded, surely there's a higher way. Can you not hear the hunger in these kids? These wealthy suburban kids, can you not hear the emptiness in them? All my best friends are sick of pretending we want the truth. So much is missing, so give us the real thing. Can you not hear it? We're giving them money. You're giving them cars. You're giving them free education. If you're paying for it for your kids, you're giving, you give, 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 give. But the very hunger of the human heart, the existential questions, what's my purpose? What's my meaning? Why am I here? Is there life after death? All of these deep existential questions, society is ignoring and it's killing our children. 
Let me make this really personal for a moment. Where do you feel the effects of sin? Maybe a better way to say it is, where do you feel the empty promises? Every rock thrown by a rioter at a window, every picket sign held on Capitol Hill, every sexually unsatisfied young adult, every disenfranchised middle-aged adult, every unhappy busy professional, everyone who misses the good times of the past and wishes their body worked better, they are all saying the same thing. Things are not okay and I want a better world. Romans 8, 22 through 23 says this, for we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Man, can you not see it? From modern times to Christ's era. But even if you go all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia and the prophets of old. They're all speaking the same thing. Isaiah has seen how awful it becomes when humans define right and wrong on their own. Isaiah has seen murder justified, rebellion justified, hoarding and starvation justified. Isaiah has seen lying justified. Isaiah has seen unlimited sexual practices justified. Worst of all, Isaiah has seen what happens when a society tries to make these temporary things the ultimate good. It literally leaves us as shells, empty, broken, and longing for more. I'm going to invite Josh up. This is the plight of the prophet. To point to the real brokenness. And to point to the real solution. That's the plight of the prophet. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 and of course, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible, the way it was stated there, but I love this. Isaiah rolls along and he talks about a coming embodiment of an answer to our emptiness. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government, the man-made systems will be upon his shoulders, but he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What is he counseling what is he healing? What is he making right? This Messiah is going to come into human form, reach into the human heart, and deal with all of those existential, open, broken, wandering, longing things. He will be called not wonderful entertainer, A wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Shalom, the wholeness of heart, not ceasing of war, but a heart that says, I'm satisfied. 
Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, right? Here's the answer. You are an eternal creature. And when you follow the ways of God, there is no end to leaning into the place where all beautiful things come from, the limitless fountain. When you lean into Christ, you keep leaning into the thing that keeps making beauty. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is basically what all the prophets are saying all through the ages. It's basically what they were saying at the time of Christ, that he is the Messiah, and it's the same thing that I'm saying on the stage to you today. I acknowledge there are real existential questions. You cannot pretend like they're not there. You can't take them away, and you can't entertain them away. People really do want to know what is the purpose in life? Is there meaning to this? Is there an afterlife? Is there any point to any of this stuff at all? The same things they were talking about ancient Mesopotamia, the same things the prophets are talking about the time of Christ, and the same thing I'm talking about today. And they all echo the same response. The Messiah is the answer. For them, it would have been the one to come. We say the one that has come undoes all the brokenness, will undo it. They say, then they said at Christ, and we say now the Messiah will take on himself all the pain, all the suffering, all the selfishness, all the revenge, and all the hatred. I mean, you guys, you have to see how important this is. Jesus doesn't come along and say, ignore all of the hurt. Jesus comes along and says, put it all on me. I will, I will take it all on me. Isaiah 53, four through six. This is the prophets of old. They're all saying the same theme all the way through. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He's gonna really deal with brokenness. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't entertain it away. He doesn't mute its pain with drugs. He's honest about it. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon the iniquity of all of us. Let me make a couple of important statements as we talk prophets as a whole. Because of a religious worldview, like I know it's popular today to not, to, I want to be spiritual but not religious, but let me be really clear. Because of a right religious view, literally a structure in how to view the world, because of a religious worldview, we can name what we all intrinsically know is off. Evil is real and it has poisoned this good world. Judeo-Christianity has great framework. The existential thing in you that knows this world is broken, we can name it. Then the other side of this is our world or our broken world has a solution. This is what the prophets are saying all the way through. And the solution is, is, is Jesus. So I'm sitting in this class with very soon to be Dr. Kathy Howie. And um, we're listening to this young man 
talk about how susceptible young people are to radicalization. And the reason they are is because the world is ignoring the real deep existential questions. What's the purpose of life? Does any of this have meaning? What happens when I die? And then the real question, and and without saying it directly, I mean, the real question that this young man is, is asking is, why do I have these questions? If they're not real, why do I have all these questions? The questions that burn deepest in my heart and the world says, ignore them, they're not real. That's why young adults are going crazy. Because they are real hungers. The end of the story, Revelation 21, 3 and 4, I love this. Now, now, now bear with me. I'm going to read this out loud. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to read it again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I need you to see this. I'm not asking today if you believe that is true. I'm asking you today if you see how dangerous it is to not believe anything answers the existential. What happens to us when the deepest hungers of our heart are not addressed? I'm not asking today if you think this is real. I'm asking, are you wise enough to see what happens when you answer those deep questions with nothing? It breaks us. So the prophets of old, long, long ago, speaking to the reality of the human state, Jesus comes along and speaks to it. And then you have the disciples, you have the Pauline letters speaking to the deepest hungers of the human heart and how to answer it. And then you fast forward even to today and you have people like me and pastors all across the country speaking to the existential questions and telling you, man, there is an answer. And are you aware of how broken you are when you pretend like there's not? Oh, how good it is to know we have answers to the deepest questions in the human heart. And the sum of it, every rock thrown through a window rioter by a rioter, every Capitol Hill stormed, 
every person battling with their physical body, every person unsatisfied with their appetites, be it sexual or any other, every person that realizes their body is aging and it hurts and it feels like it shouldn't be this way, every individual, all of the brokenness that you see on every side, all of humanity is saying the exact same thing. This world feels broken. And I wish I could have a better world. And so with the resounding response from the ancient prophets to the time of Christ, to today, and tell our destination, let me respond to that existential longing to lean into the place where all the beauty comes from and to give yourself wholly to Jesus is to find yourself where he will wipe every tear from your eye and death shall be no more Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, or pain. For the old order of things that's so broken is going to pass away. My friends, the prophets of old, the pastors today, and the promises of tomorrow, we have answers for your existential questions. Will you listen? Will you listen? I'd encourage you to take out the next steps card or the back of the chair in front of you. I, I, uh, I know today's kind of a deeper Sunday. I, I know I'm maybe pushing you into a, a, a deeper way of thinking. I, I get that. And sometimes I, I leave and I think, man, maybe I demanded too much of the congregation. But I want you just to take a moment and on the next steps card, any prayer request you have, don't ignore the existential hungers. What's my purpose? Is there purpose? Is there meaning? Don't ignore them. If you have a prayer request, write it down. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ, accept the answer, write it down. If you need to be baptized, write it down. We would love to answer questions, to talk with you about it. And if you just need to spend some time before the Lord asking him, man, God, show me yourself, do that too. But take some time this morning. Don't just hear the prophets. Respond to them. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. 
Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.